Good evening, everyone. It's always a pleasure to be with you, especially on the Sabbath Golden Meeting. You know, it's hard to believe. In three weeks or so, the fall Holy Day season is upon us. Tonight, we're going to look at one of those days, a very special day, and a day, well, does anybody remember Rodney Dangerfield? <laughs> you know, he built a whole career out of one sentence. I don't get no respect. He made millions from that. Well, you know, in some respects, that's a little something like the Day of Atonement. Not that it don't get no respect, but really, we don't give it the respect and honor that it deserves. And I'm going to make a bold statement to start with, that unless that Day of Atonement, and we're going to use a different name for it, we're going to use the biblical name for it, unless that day is properly observed and all the events connected with it are properly followed through by the risen Christ, the revelation of 21 and 22 with the new heavens and the new earth will not take place. The Father will simply not descend to us. And the statement that Jesus made in John 17 about us and them, everybody, all for one, spiritually speaking in the kingdom, will not, quite, will not take place either unless we understand the meaning of this day. It is that important. And I don't think all of us fully grasp it. It's a very important day. To start with, we really ought to call it by its biblical name, Yom HaKippurim, Yom HaKippurim. Now, we Jews slang it. We say Yom Kippur, and that's okay. It, it's, it's, it's all right. No problem with that. Basically, Yom Kippur is the most holy day of the Jewish year. It's the final day of the ten days of penitence, penance. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, day ah. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. The shofar sounds on the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. The call for repentance. And at the end of those nine days, beginning with Yom Kippur, the shofar sounds again to make sure that we've repented and that our names are once again inscribed in the Book of Life for another year. And we're good to go. Now, that's very similar to the way it really worked in ancient Israel. When you went through, or they went through, all the rituals described in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, and the blood of the goats and the bull offering, sins were cleansed. Now, not truly forgiven. No, no, not truly forgiven, but it was cleansed. And God didn't see their sins, and they were good to go for another year, until the next Day of Atonement. So, considering that, let us take a look at what we find. Well, I should back off a minute. For a number of years, it always bothered me why the Day of Atonement was considered a feast day. I remember thinking to myself, feast? I don't eat or drink on that day. How is it possibly a feast day? Well, I was going off to Ambassador College, and so I figured, well, they would be able to tell me. And the best anybody out there could come up with is, well, it's a spiritual feast. Mm, 
no, 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 no. Not at all. Well, you know the old saying that I brought out, if, it all fa- if all else fails, go to the Hebrew. That'll tell us. Well, I remember some years ago when Fred called me because he was looking at Genesis 1, verse 14. So we're going to look at Genesis 1, verse 14, then we're going right to Leviticus 23. And in Genesis 1, chapter 14, we read, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide between the day and the night, and let them be for signs and for appointed seasons. And that's the way he was going to translate it. And he asked me, would I confirm it? I thought, well, let's take a look. And I said, yes, that'll work. Because that's what it means, appointed season. And if you look, we have a star there. And in the center margin, under verse 14, we have set times, which are the feasts and holy days of God. So now, let's look at Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, because that's where we're going to be for a while, and then Leviticus 16. So if we look at the very beginning of Leviticus 23, verse 2, Lord says to Moses, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, Concerning the appointed feasts of the Lord. There we have appointed. The word back in Genesis 1 verse 14 is moedim, that's plural, moed, in singular. And it means just that, appointment, appointed time, set time. Nothing to do about eating or not eating. It's on God's calendar. God has his calendar. It's a weekly calendar and a monthly calendar. And every seventh day, God has noted in some way on his calendar, meet with my people. He's there. Every single seventh day, no matter where we may be, no matter how many we may be, if it's just one person somewhere trying to keep the Sabbath, calling upon God, God will be there in spirit form with him. But look at, but look at Leviticus 23, verse 2, concerning the appointed feasts which you shall proclaim. Then we Go to the end of that verse. These are my appointed feasts. And verse 4. These are the appointed feasts. Moedim. It might have been better if we had left feasts off. It's not wrong to have them there. Translated that way by many scholars over centuries. So there's nothing wrong with saying feasts. But the word feast sort of indicates eating and drinking and joyous and merrymaking. But appointed time is just that. It's an appointed time. Whether you eat or drink depends on the requirements of that particular day. Now drop down to verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is a different word. That word is chag. And you might have heard the phrase Chag Sameach. Chag meaning festival, Sameach meaning joyous. And so Jews will greet each other, especially at Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the feast. But they will say Chag Sameach, meaning joyous festival. May you have a joyous festival. 
So in reality, the Day of Atonement is a festival, not necessarily a feast to eat or not to eat. And that's how we should look at the festivals. And when we think of it that way, there is no problem at all. There is no confusion as to why uh, uh, the Day of Atonement we don't eat. It's still a festival of God. Well, now we're going to look at Leviticus 23 and beginning in verse 23. Let us take a look. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation to you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now we're going to see in the next five verses or six verses, afflict is mentioned three times. I remember Fred saying, if God says it once, that's enough. He says, do it, do it. But when God says it three times, you know he means business. So here we are. Tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. Verse 28, do no work in that same day. For it is a day of atonement in order to make atonement. Okay. Verse 29, whoever is not afflicted. That's the second time we have it. And whoever does any work in that same day, say one, will I destroy from among his people. That's powerful language. God doesn't speak that way very often, but he does with the day of atonement. And then dropping down to verse 31, you shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever. Verse 32, it shall be a Sabbath of rest. That is Shabbat Shabbaton. It's the same form of both times. We have a Sabbath of rest, but it means a ceasing of ceasing, a Sabbath of Sabbaths. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And verse 32, you shall afflict yourselves. All right. Something else involved here. The word for afflict in the Hebrew is in what we call the PL form. Now, it's not important that you know the name of the vinyam, the name of the particular classification. But there are eight classifications of Hebrew verbs. One is basically a simple one. Here I am, let's say I broke a dish. I was trying to clean it, and I hit it against the porcelain. I've broken three or four pieces. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And then we have the PL. And when you use that, it means I shattered it. It may be a hundred different pieces. This is in the form of the PL. Do we understand what that really means? God is not saying, now look, you need to do this. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is, you will afflict yourselves. That's the power and the force of the Hebrew. Now, we call this the Day of Atonement. It's okay. But the real name is Yom HaKippurim. And I want to read you from my little handy-dandy Guide to Yom Kippur. This I picked up in 1969, along in a set of guides to all the holy days. It's been pretty good shape for about 52, 53 years. In fact, <laughs> sometimes I think it's in better shape than I am. Well, anyway, 
This is what this rabbi says. Now listen closely, because he is spot on. The name Yom Kippur is the rabbinic version of the biblical plural form of Yom HaKippurim. Yom means day. The root of Kippur, Kippurim, or Kapara, it's all the same, it's like C-P-R. <laughs> Those three letters are present in all the Hebrew forms here. So it means the same thing. The form most frequently used, and it means to scour to cleanse thoroughly, to erase. This is what we're talking about. The day of cleansing. Yom Kippur means sin is going to be cleansed and wiped out. Or again, if it isn't wiped out, the Father is not going to descend. That's what makes this so important. And I don't think we fully realize it. Sin is thought of as a stain to be removed if the soul is to appear pure before its creator. It goes on to say another meaning of the root is to cover. That's right. Our sins will be covered. In atonement, sin is covered, hidden out of sight. That's why the Israelites, when they had their sins covered, they could go to the tabernacle, the temple, Offer their sacrifices, the sins, were, the sins were hidden. They were out of sight. That's right. And this is the day on which Israel once again finds favor with God. And here is the final, his final sentence. Repentance is an essential preliminary to Hakipurim. So true. Spot on. That's what this day is about. Now, I know that there's some confusion. I know two weeks ago another speaker on Go to Meeting gave a message, and it was garbled in terms of Hakipurim. And this is what he said. I don't want to read a lot from it, but just enough to point out where it's off and where we need to know it. That's what atonement is all about. Saving the people who are afflicted. He's talking about the people coming out of the tribulation. They're afflicted. And we're keeping the day of atonement to save them. No, no, no. A thousand times no. That has nothing to do with it. It is to cleanse our sins and eventually the sins of the whole world. That's what it really is. Because, you see, in Israel, when their sins were covered, they were not truly forgiven. Why? Paul made it very clear. We won't turn there right now, but you can turn there. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4. The blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sin. No, they can't. But the blood and bulls were used in the temple worship and in the tabernacle worship. So symbolically, yes, they had their sins forgiven. That is, ritually forgiven, ceremonially cleansed. Now, in the same paper, we're talking about fasting. 
and interested what he has to say. He says the commandments for atonement is not fasting. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. In Leviticus, it does not talk about fasting when it talks about atonement. What it commands is afflicting your soul. Well, afflicting and fasting go hand in hand. They really do. And I want to read once again from this guide. We talk about fasting. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul. Now that is referring directly to Leviticus 16, verse 29. Oh, we're not there yet. We're going to read it. From this verse, the duty of fasting on Yom Kippur is derived. From the earliest times, afflicting the soul was understood to be fasting. Now we have in Hebrew what is called parallelism. In poetry, it doesn't have real poetry in the sense of rhyme or limericks. As you all know, my favorite poem, Sennacheru, that's meter, is beautiful. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold. His cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. Hebrew has nothing like that. But it does have parallelism. Parallelism means that you have two sentences and they run parallel. Sentence one, sentence two. And those sentences have similar words but the same meaning. The meaning is same. Turn to Isaiah 58 if you would. This is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Isaiah 58. We've read this before. Is this the fast I have chosen? You know what God is saying. Well, what he's saying in verse 3, they say, why have we fasted and you do not see? That's sentence 1. Sentence 2 is, why have we afflicted our soul and you take no knowledge? See those sentences? They're parallel. The end of each sentence is, end of each sentence is, you did not hear. Uh, you took no knowledge. In other words, no response from God. But the meaning is similar. Now, look at the beginning of each sentence. Why have we fasted? Why have we afflicted? They're parallel. They cannot be in this form parallel unless they mean the same thing. That is just a rule of Hebrew usage. This tells us that fasting and affliction are really the same. So the idea that we're talking about fasting but not afflicting, or affliction but not fasting, is bogus. We're doing both. Okay, now, why do we fast? Two reasons. Let's give two of them. We fast primarily to draw close to God, to humble ourselves before God, to show that we understand that we are helpless before God. Without him, we are nothing. We are totally dependent upon him. 
Now, does God react to it? To me, the most incredible example of God reacting favorably is to the, at least, outward repentance of one of the most rotten and evil kings in all of Israel, the son of Omri, Ab, husband of Jezebel. But look, we've read that, I'm assuming. Look at 1 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 21. And this is where, in this chapter, is where he wants Naboth's vineyard and he's crying and moping because Naboth won't sell it to him. And, and Jezebel says, what are you doing? I'll get it for you. We know what she did. And so God is reaming them out, threatening to destroy Ahab's kingdom. But look what we have. In verse 27, Then it came to pass, when Ahab heard these words of destruction, uh, yeah, he tore his clothes. Ahab? Tearing his clothes? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted, fasted, and lay in sackcloth and walked softly. This is Ahab. And look what God said. And God was had the same reaction. Look what he said. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab humbles himself? I like to take a little liberty with this. Sorry, I, it's me. <laughs> it's in my mind. It's as though God is saying to Ahab, as though God is saying to Elijah, Elijah, come, look. Do you see what I see? Ahab is humbling himself. And God said, Because he humbles himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days. Of course, Ahab being Ahab, it didn't last. It couldn't last. But what? If it did, what if Ahab maintained that attitude in his day? He wouldn't have died the way he did. What if he had commanded his sons and they had listened? The punishment would have been put off, put off, and put off. Why would God do this? Why would God react this way? And I think Fred has given us the answer. Four-worded sentence. Four words. God always honors repentance. And that's true. Even a king like Ahab, even if it was oh, somewhat skin deep, but you know, I think it was more than skin deep at this time. But as I said, Ahab being Ahab, he couldn't maintain it. But think, if God would react to Ahab that way and spare him, listen to him, how much more will he listen to us? How much more will he spare us? You see, we're humbling ourselves to have the sins forgiven. 
If they're not forgiven, God's plan can't work. And that's what Yom HaKippurim is all about. The forgiveness of sin and the wiping out of sin, the obliteration of sin. Look at chapter, look at Isaiah, chapter 66. We've been there before. Let's go there again. Isaiah chapter 66. And we will see in verse 2. That's the last chapter of the book. For all these things my hand has made, and these things came to be, says the Lord. But, he says, to this one I will look, to him who is of a poor and contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. When God spoke the word, Ahab trembled. God looked at him. We need to do the same. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. Us repenting. Us in spiritual sackcloth and ashes. So God will hear us and cleanse us. It has to be cleansed. If not, again, God's plan will not work. Now, how does this system really work out? It's like this. Remember, this is cleansing. Yom HaKippurim, not Day of Atonement. Atonement kind of, well, yeah, this forgiveness of sin, and well, yes, I, I know, but where's the cleansing? Where's the scouring? It looks like this. Uh, be here in Southern California, and I'll kind of localize it here. I get to spend some time with Darrell Brown and Byron Norad and his wife. And Byron has invited us over to their home. They're very hospitable. They're nice people. And so we're having a nice dinner. And she's got, oh, she's got a beautiful tablecloth. Everything is clean. And, uh, wine is spilled. Our coffee. It's on the tablecloth. It's on the carpet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Repentance. Step one. There is repentance. Oh, Byron and Kathy being so wonderful and kind and generous and magnanimous saying, oh, don't worry. It's okay. We'll, we'll get rid of it. We'll, we'll clean it up. It's all right. To forgiveness. Here we are. We've got sin. We spill the wine. We've had repentance. We've had forgiveness. We're good, right? All through. Ah, uh, no. We're not through. We're not out of the woods. Why not? That stain is still there. Yom HaKippurim. We've got to scrub it clean. Unless that stain is scrubbed clean, ah, uh, you don't have elimination of sin. Well, there's a stain on this cloth or a stain on a rug. We get carpet cleaner. We can get our spray wash or whatever it is. But now spiritual sin. There's only one universal solvent for that. The blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Son of God. Now last week, Steve Durham gave a very good message about the link between Passover and Atonement. So I'm just going to add to that just a little bit. 
the blood of the Lamb is slain on Passover. That's right. But it is not applied nationally until atonement. This is where the blood is, this is where it's applied to wipe out sin. So, we've got how the stain is removed from the carpet. Okay. Now we're good. The stain is removed. Aren't we? Are we finished? End of story? No, no, unfortunately, no. What's left? The fourth procedure. See, there are four steps. There are four procedures. That sin is still around. Maybe it's not on the affected area. Maybe it's no longer polluting a particular object. But it's in the atmosphere. It's still around. It has got to go. How are we going to do that? Ergo, the two goats. God is telling us how it's got to go and what we've got to do. So, let's go take a look. We're going to go to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. This is what we tend to forget. We've got to really understand this Leviticus chapter 16. So let us take our time. Leviticus chapter 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and they died. Now, all the times we have strange fire, they didn't follow instruction. If you read carefully, same thing is true with David and the ark. You know, you got to bring it up to Jerusalem, put it on a new cart. Uh, 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 uh. That's not what God said to do. And so when it appeared to maybe stumble, Uzzah put up his hand. He wants to save the ark. God zapped him dead. David was dismayed. David, God told you what to do. <laughs> Get the Levites. Have them use the poles through the rings and carry it up to Jerusalem. Finally he did, and all was well. Okay. These priests, these sons of Aaron, they didn't follow instruction. So, God says to Moses, Speak to Aaron your brother, that he does not come at all times into the sanctuary, within the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, so that he does not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. You're talking about the Holy of Holies. And it's true. Only one person ever went in there. And only one time in the year. Yom HaKippurim. Cleansing. Aaron shall come into the sanctuary this way. With a young bull for a sin offering. And a ram for a burnt offering. So you see. Paul was right when he talks about the blood of bulls and goats because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs were used to cleanse sin. He shall put on the holy linen coat. He shall have the linen breeches on his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen, linen mitre. He shall be dressed. These are holy garments and he shall wash his flesh in water and put them on. We notice carefully the nature of these garments. White, simple, 
linen. There was no special mitred or glorious one. He did not have on the unum from him. What about his beautiful robes and the pomegranates and the bells on the bottom? No, no. Nothing splendiferous. Nothing glorious. Just a simple white garments symbolizing purity and humility. He came in there just like a simple priest humbling himself before God to do his offering. Nothing proud. No arrogance. Humility. And also is what Yom Kippurim is about. This type of an attitude. And he shall take from congregation of the children of Israel two goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. That's interesting. Two kids for a sin offering? Gotta understand. This whole thing is in two parts. One goat is for one purpose. One goat is for another purpose. But it's all connected with sin as an offering. And this is what we're going to see. This is what confuses some people. Anyway, Aaron shall offer his young bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. And Aaron shall cast lots on the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel which is a designation for Hasatan, the evil one. Really, this is Satan. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer for a sin offering. Ah, here's the death. This is the death of the goat, the lamb. This is the blood that's going to be spilled, that's going to purify everything. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, and to send it away into the wilderness. Well, if we think of atonement, it's going to lead us off. Cleansing. God is going to take, as we'll see, all the sins and dump them upon this other goat. This is part of being the sin. He's going to carry the sin. This is what, this is what is meant when it says uh, to make an atonement upon it. The sins of Israel, the sins of all the people, are going to be cleansed, removed, and put on this goat. And this goat is going to be sent away. Actually picturing the devil himself being eventually banished into outer darkness. All those sins are going away with him. That's what this day is all about. Because unless that happens, the Father is not going to descend on this earth. We're not going to be at one with him on this earth. He cannot and he will not abide sin. Sin is the violation of his holy law. We know from 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is lawlessness. And he will not accept it. 
You will not be anywhere near it. It must be eliminated. And we're learning from Leviticus 16 how God is going to do that. That's the purpose of Leviticus 16. This is the purpose for the meaning of the Day of Atonement. So anyway, Aaron is going to bring the young bull of the sin offering, verse 11, which is for himself, make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the young bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. So a bull is used for sin, yes. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of fragrant incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. The incense. This is all the prayers of all the people. Their hopes. God, Aaron is going to bring them in there and present them to God. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense shall cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony. And he shall not die. That's right. And he shall take of the blood of the young bull and shall sprinkle with his finger on the front of the mercy seat eastward. And he shall sprinkle it at the front of the mercy seat seven times. Perfection. Seven times from the blood with his finger. Perfect. Perfect cleansing. Perfect purification. That's, what is, that's what's happening here. The temple, the tabernacle, must be purified. But God will not accept it. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. And he shall do with that blood as he did with the blood of the young goat, of the young bull, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. And before the mercy, yeah, before the mercy seat. Now we need to break off for a minute to realize who is this doubt ultimately? The Son of God. And look at the prophetic element and what he promised. So we're going to break off here for just a few minutes and turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Just one chapter over. All we're going to do is just turn the page. Look what God says in verse 11 of chapter 17. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I, I want to emphasize it, notice it, I, I, the yod heh vav I, the Lord God, have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for yourself. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for life. Whose blood's he talking about? Well, yeah, the blood of the animal's true. He's talking about his own blood. And he's using what we call in Hebrew the prophetic element. He says, I have given it to you. No, he hadn't. He hadn't done it yet. See, in Hebrew, we have the concept of God being so perfect and so pure. And he keeps all his promises. If God says he's going to do something, it's as good as done. 
So God will sometimes, you'll see sometimes, translations of the Hebrew, which is in the past tense, but it's written as though it's in the future. Because it's written in the past tense, therefore God did it. But since God hadn't done it yet, if you want to be literally true in, in chronological order, he hadn't done it. So we say he will do it. But the principle of the prophetic element is there. God is promising it for sure. That's why he says, I have given it. Meaning, I will give it and no power in heaven and earth is going to stop me. Because without that blood, there is no ultimate forgiveness of sin. And unless sin is forgiven and banished forever, we have no new Jerusalem. We have no new heaven and earth. We cannot be at one with the Divine Father. Sin must be eradicated. Over and over again, this is the meaning of Yom HaKippurim. Nothing else. Sin has to be, that's in its name, the cleansing. And the Apostle Paul recognized that and acknowledged the prophetic element. Turn to Romans. Oh, I have this, I have this scripture burned into me because when I was studying the prophetic element, I stumbled across this and I realized, ah, Paul knows about all that. <laughs> sure he does. He's a rabbi. <laughs> he knew about it. So we're looking at the book of Romans. Romans, Chapter 4, as soon as I can get there, Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Romans 4, look what Paul says. Exactly as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This is God talking about Abraham, to Abraham. Before God, in whom he believed. Now here we go who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. Here we have the prophetic element. There are certain things that have not yet taken place, but because God says he will, he speaks of them as though he has. Consider it done, because it will be done. Therefore, it is done. This is the prophetic element, and it is important. So back we go to Leviticus chapter 16. Back to Leviticus 16, right? So verse 15 again. He's going to kill the goat of the sin offering. This for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. He shall do with that blood as he did with the blood of the young bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, before the mercy seat. He shall make an atonement for the sanctuary. Understand, look at this. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions in all their sins, and he shall do so for the tabernacle of the congregation, which remains with them in the midst of their uncleanness. See, this has to be purified. And the blood of the lamb, the blood of the goat is going to purify it. If we do not purify this, the Father, I say again, is not coming down to impurity. Everything has to be perfect. 
risen Christ, the end of days, end of the millennium, what we call it, end of the last great day, he is going to end of Satan being banished forever. He, along us with him, we're going to help him. He's going to make sure that this earth is crystal pure. Remember the old slogan, advertisement for ivory soap? 99, 44, and 100% pure? Christ is going to make this earth 100% pure. To do that, he has to, he must cleanse it of sin and banish it forever. Then the way will be paved for the Father to come. That's how important this day is. Verse 17, And there will be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make an atonement in the sanctuary until he comes out. Now, you may find this a little humorous, but this was actually done on occasion. Uh, the Pharisees, the rabbis, they, they were scared because what if the high priest has a heart attack or something? What if he does something wrong? What if we're outside and all of a sudden we hear a thump? How are we going to get him out? We can't go in. God's going to kill us. So what they did was they tied a rope around him with a long, long leash. So when he was in there, if something happened, they could pull him out so so they wouldn't die. <laughs> they actually did that too. It's kind of humorous, but they were afraid. This is real. You remember in, in 63 B.C., when Pompey came into Jerusalem, conquered it, went into the temple, went into the Holy of Holies, looked around, didn't see anything. So he said, oh, clean it up. Well, let me tell you, folks, it's a good thing. You see, God wasn't there. And oh, it's a good thing God wasn't there. Because if God had been there, Pompey would never have walked out. Simple as that. So, anyway, so there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make atonement until he comes out and has made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation. Now look at the next few verses. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And even cleanse the altar. And he shall take of the blood of the young bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Verse 19, he shall sprinkle of the blood on it with his finger seven times. Again, perfection. And cleanse it. It needs to be cleansed too. Now we're talking about the tabernacle. We're talking about the abode and the operation of the priests. But it is filled with sin, transgression, violation of God's holy law. Because human beings can't be perfect. And sin must be forgiven. That's why this blood has to cleanse it. It all has to be cleansed. And cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 
over and over we see this. This is Yom HaKippurim, the day of cleansing, the day when ultimately the tabernacle, the temple, everything will be cleansed to perfection. No sin, holy righteousness, purity. Wow, what on earth is that going to be? Just think about it. And when he had made, when he has made an end of reconciling the sanctuary and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Ah, here's the fourth step. Here's the fourth process that has to take place. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over and confess over him all the sins of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away by the hand of a chosen man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquity, every single last one of them, to a land in which no one lives, and he shall let the goat go into the wilderness. And again, as I said earlier, eventually, this goat is going to be the real thing. The devil himself. And Jesus Christ, as the real high priest, the supreme high priest, in a way, is going to confess all those sins and put on that vicious, rotten being Murderer, liar from the beginning, Jesus said, and send him away, banishing him into outer darkness, and all the sins with him. That's the final step. Cleansing, Yom Hakipurim, the cleansing of the land, the cleansing of the whole earth. That's what we're talking about. That's why we fast to be pure to be righteous before God, to humble ourselves, to seek his will, so he will cover our sins and forgive them, and he will. All right. And Aaron, verse 23, shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall strip off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the sanctuary and leave them there, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place, put on his garments, Come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and the people. Again, cleansing. Oh, this is throughout Leviticus 16. This is the meaning of the day, to be cleansed from sin. And he that let go the goat for Azazel shall wash his clothes, bathe, his flesh and water, and afterwards come into the camp. And the young bull for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement, the blood of the Son of God, shall they carry forth outside the camp, and shall burn their skins in the fire, and their flesh and their dung. Where was Christ crucified? Outside of Jerusalem. Outside of the camp. So where is the carcass, uh, skin of the lamb and the bull? Going to be put outside the camp. 
no sin allowed in the kingdom. None. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and come into the camp. And it shall be a statute forever to you. On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. There it is again. You shall afflict your souls by fasting to humble the soul. And do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger. For on that day of an atonement shall be made for you. A cleansing shall be made. <laughs> Followed by what? To cleanse you. How many times does God have to point this out? He means it. He's serious. He wants it burned into our consciousness. Must be cleansed of sin. That's what atonement is about. That's what this day is about. The not anything else. We're not fasting for anybody else. We're not cleansing, we're not keeping this day because of the children of Israel coming out of captivity. It's true. They're going to keep the Day of Atonement at some point. Yes, they are. All the, And we fast in the sense we do fast for them, in the sense that God will have mercy on them. All that's true. But that is not part of Yom HaKippurim. That's the cleansing of our sin. So we may be covered. Be in that first resurrection. Okay, verse 31. It shall be a Sabbath of rest to you. Again, Shabbat Shabbaton. And you shall afflict your souls forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate. To minister in the priest's office in his father's stead. Shall make the atonement. Shall make the cleansing. And shall put on the linen clothes and holy garments. Once again, the simple holy garments. Just white. Pure. Not the glorious garments that the priest, high priest normally wears. And he shall make an atonement. <laughs> cleansing again. He shall make a cleansing for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make a... Atonement, cleansing, he shall clean up the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make another cl cleansing for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. How many times does God have to point this out? He wants us to get the point. He needs to drive it home. Because if we don't get it, the Father's not going to be saying we We can never be at one completely with him, with sin. He will not abide sin. I've said this, you know, well, how do I put it? Not humorously, but softly. God, really, our Father, is a softy. He really is. He doesn't want to punish. He doesn't want to hurt us. He looks for excuses not to punish us. But there is one thing he will not tolerate. He will not put up with. Sin. The violation of his law. The rebellion against his precepts. He's not going to put up with it. He will crush it. And unless 
we are free of sin. This planet is free of sin. He's not coming down. And we want him to come down. Don't we? Of course we do. That's why we have this game. That's why he's driving the point home over and over and over again. What are the three methods of remembering something? Remember them? Impression, association, repetition. Impression, association, repetition, 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 repetition. That's what we have here in Leviticus 16. Repetition. Because we we've got six skulls. We don't always get the point. Well, we better get the point. And you shall make that atonement for the holy sanctuary and for the tabernacle of the congregation, for the altar. And he shall make atonement, cleansing for the priest. And this shall be an everlasting statute to you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for their sins once a year. See, the Day of Atonement comes once a year. What does it symbolize? What does it picture? The complete forgiveness of sin, the cleansing of sin, the removal of sin, and the total eradication of sin, the expulsion of sin from this planet, from this era, into outer darkness where Satan will be. Let him have fun with his sins. God then is coming down. Now, let us look and see what a glorious time this will be. We have just two scriptures to go. One is Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Here we go. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem. The father with it. Descending. Because we're free of sin. And the risen Christ has made sure of that. And we have helped him do it. By eradicating sin. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for the husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Those of us who have been changed into God beings, he shall dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself shall be with them and their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall not be any more death or sorrow or crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, because the former things have passed away. What did God say? Making a new covenant? Talking about it in Jeremiah chapter 31. What did he say about our sins? As far as the east is from the west, they shall be gone. I will remember their sin no more. Because it won't be there. In outer darkness. God will not remember it. He doesn't want to. God will look at us. And welcome us. And as the three musketeers. Oh, remember the book. I enjoyed reading that book years ago. 
Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan, one for all, and all for one. That's what the kingdom of God will be. And Jesus, Jesus puts it, explains that. This is our final scripture. And we read this scripture every Passover. But we need to read it in very deep meaning. Chapter 17. John chapter 17. And verse 20. Where Jesus says, I do not pray for these only. Meaning for his disciples right there. But also for those who shall believe in me through their word. That they all may be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That is complete unity. A glorious family where the Father doesn't look down on us. Where we're equal in that sense. Where then, at the end of time, so to speak, glorious family, we will be ready to carry out Whatever instructions, whatever projects the Father and the risen Christ have in mind. And you know, <laughs> you know, they have things in mind. There's a whole universe out there with hundreds of billions, trillions of stars, galaxies. We're going to have something to do with them. But all of it is made possible by the events, by the mechanisms, of Yom HaKippurim. That's what this day is all about. The cleansing of sin so we can be at one with the great creator God, the mighty El Elyon, the Holy Father. And so, that is the real meaning of Yom HaKippurim.